Maybe you've heard of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe you haven't. They were missionaries. Jim and four other young men decided, for some reason, God put it on their heart to reach a tribe in Ecuador, South America, the Warani tribe. This tribe was uh, notorious for their brutality. If they saw, they could, I was reading about this tribe, they could recognize a footprint as if it was somebody from their tribe or somebody else that they knew even footprints. And if they found some footprints and it wasn't one of their people, they'd follow the footprints and kill the person. They were a brutal, brutal tribe. And even within the tribe, often if you wounded somebody else or you did something, it was likely they could kill you for it. So this tribe was unreached by, by anyone. I believe it was in the early 60s. There was another tribe nearby where missionaries had been and gone. And there was a couple young ladies who had escaped from this tribe and they were there. And so Jim, his wife, and several other men went down, and their wives, they went down and they, they started learning the language from these two girls in a different tribe. And their heart was to reach the Wolrani tribe uh, for Christ. Now, the way they started this, I thought it was pretty interesting. They would take their little airplane and they would fly over the, the tribe, over their area. And they began, of course, the first time they flew over, they all ran and hid in their huts, scared to death. But they started dropping gifts down to the tribe. And after some time of dropping these gifts down, they would actually come out and, and, and receive the gifts. It was kind of interesting. They would drop down a rope with a bucket, you know, and, and fly through and, and drop the bucket down. And eventually, they started sending some things back up. And so there was kind of this exchange of, of gifts. And they would, as they flew around, they would shout out through a megaphone in their language, we're friendly, we want to be friends, we want to visit you. Their whole goal was to share Christ with them. Well, eventually, they, they thought it was a, about time to meet, and they flew over, and they, they were shouting down, we want to meet, we're going to be at the river, um, and they flew around, then they went and they landed on the river, and three men eventually, about three hours later, came out to visit them. They exchanged some gifts. Uh, one of the, the tribesmen asked for a ride in the plane, and so he got a ride, and they flew over the village, and so they were encouraged about that relationship starting. They set up another time where they were going to come meet about a week later. And a week later, five men, including Jim, flew there. Now, their wives were not there. I'm not sure exactly where they were, but they were using a radio to communicate back and forth. And their wives were praying for their opportunity, praying for what God would do, praying for the Holy Spirit to move as they shared the gospel. So this was their, they were building to this. The, the tribe was going to come out, they were going to share their faith, and they were going to hear about Jesus for the first time. Well, of course, the wives are waiting for the radio call back at the end to hear how it went. Never came. They found their bodies <laughs> down the river later. They were all killed with spears. What happened was they, they were waiting. The tribesmen came out armed <laughs> and they killed them. The thing is, is all of those men were armed. They had guns. They could have defended themselves, but they chose not to. For some reason, they chose, they just let it happen. Two years later, Elizabeth, Jim's wife, and their three-year-old daughter went back. Elizabeth was actually brought into the tribe at that point, and many of those who were involved in the killing came to know Christ. They gave their lives over to Jesus and, and received salvation. Uh, Jim was 28 years old when he was killed. Why? Why would somebody be willing to go to a known murderous tribe put their lives on the line, and then die? And then why would a wife bring her toddler back to the same place for the same reason? Here's the, the reason. Jesus rose from the dead. 
Jesus rose from the dead. That's why. We're going to be in John chapter 20, so turn there if you would. We're going to be in John 20. But Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Jim died in vain. And his wife was a fool for going back and bringing a three-year-old if Jesus did not rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul writes this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Everything we believe rises and falls on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Bodily, at a point in history, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, what we're doing here is a waste of time. Worse than that, it's evil because it's giving hope to people that doesn't exist. A false hope. Something better would be go do religion. Because if there's a God and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we better work really hard to make ourselves right with God. But Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. If he didn't, everything we're doing is worthless. This is different than any other religion. You know, a lot of people have said Christianity is the same as ever. They all teach the same thing, right? Basically, all roads lead to heaven because they all, you know, they teach this morality. But there's something totally different about biblical Christianity. Every other religion will tell you what to do if they believe in one God, a God, what you have to do to appease that God or be right. It's called religion. Or God is everything. You know, some of the Eastern mysticism, God is everything, and so you need to meditate and just become one with everything. Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is the only faith that says, yes, we're separated from God, but God did something about it. He took our place. He became a man. No other spiritual leader ever did anything like that, and then died, and then rose from the dead. Nobody's ever done that before. Nobody. So Christianity is unlike every other religion that tells you what to do. Christianity tells you what he already did. And all you have to do is believe. That's why we sing up here about his grace. We sing about the free gift. It is unlike anything else out there. And it turns the world upside down when we understand it. But here's the thing. If everything rises and falls on Jesus rising from the dead, did he really? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe and have you received life the way these men we're going to read about did? Jesus was crucified in the year AD 33, most likely, give or take a couple of years. He was crucified. That is a historical fact. The only people that will say there wasn't a Jesus that wasn't crucified, they're the same people that think Bigfoot is in the Redwoods. They're the same people that think we've never been to the moon. It's, it's, it's a historical fact. Jesus was killed. There was a man named Jesus. He taught all this cool stuff and he was killed. How you interpret that, that changes. The belief of him rising from the dead, that is different. But did he rise from the dead? He died. That's a fact. Did he rise? I would say that's also a fact. And we're going to read in John 20. In John 20, we are getting the eyewitness account of John, the youngest of the disciples. He is writing down what he saw, what happened that day. And here's why he's writing this. We're going to see this at the end. He's writing it so that you will believe. This is evangelistic. He's writing that you will believe. But if you're sitting here, you're like, I already believe. Well, there's more to this story. That you will also have life. That you would believe and have life. And so today our focus is reading the historical account and answering the question, is that really true? Is that really true? And what are the results? 
Look with me, please, at John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So picture this scene. We know Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Saturday is the Sabbath for the Jews, and Saturday was also the Passover, big celebration. So he was killed Friday. He gave up his soul. He died Friday. He was buried in the tomb Friday, a rich man's tomb. Uh, most people weren't buried this way. It was only the wealthy that could afford this, this carved out cave, basically. Uh, it was limestone, and so they would actually do the work of carving it out. Then they would cut a stone that they could roll in front and roll back. When I was a kid, I always pictured it as a boulder, but it really wasn't a boulder. It was, it was more like a stone, probably like this, chiseled, that they could roll in front of it, very heavy. And so these women go out early on Sunday morning. Sabbath was Saturday. The, these were good Jews. They observed the Sabbath. Sunday, they came early in the morning, still dark. Mary, and we know there were other women with her, they went, and they're wondering as they go, how are we gonna unroll the, the stone? We're not sure, but they were going anyway. And they were bringing spices. We need to understand the, the Jewish burial custom. It was this. Uh, remember, actually, in John chapter 11, when Lazarus was raised from the dead? And we see a picture. Jesus opens a tomb and calls out, Lazarus, come forth. Uh, and Lazarus comes out hopping. Because the Jewish burial custom was that you would take the body and you would wrap it in clothes. Wrap it, wrap it, wrap it. They didn't do cremation. Uh, they didn't do, you know, like, like uh, in Egypt, creating mummies. But they would wrap them and they would put spices and, and oils in between the wrappings to, to you know, it stinks. When a body starts to decompose, it starts to stink. So they would wrap all these spices in there. And, and they were coming that morning to add more spices to the mix. So the body would be in a tomb for about a year. These spices would... would uh, help with the smell. And in a year, they would go in and they would take the bones and put them in a box and keep that. So that was kind of their, their custom, wrap them up tightly. So here, what happens, they're going to add more spices. They see the, the stone is rolled away. Mary goes running off. Most likely the other women stayed right there. She goes running off. She tells Peter and John, they've taken Jesus. They sprint to the tomb. John gets there first. John, the youngest of the disciples, he peeks his head in, but he doesn't go in. He doesn't want to defile himself probably by being close to a dead body. So he looks in. Peter gets there. I love Peter. He's impetuous. He gets a bad rap, but he just goes right in. And he goes in. So then John, he gets the courage. He goes into, and what do they find? They find the clothes laying there, the cloths. So that which was wrapped around him is still there in the shape of the body. When Lazarus rose from the dead, he came hopping out of the tomb like this. Because Jesus said, go help him, unbind him. Jesus didn't rise the way Lazarus rose. John is telling us something special here. Jesus rose from the dead, but not like Lazarus. 
not like anybody else. Lazarus rose from the dead. There were others in the Old Testament and the New Testament that rose from the dead, but they all rose bodily in the same body to die again. It was very miraculous. This is different. This is not like that. The head cloth was rolled up. And there's debate, you know, as people study it, was it still in the shape of his face? You know, maybe some of you were raised Catholic and there's the Shroud of Turin, right? Um, so there's all this debate about that. But re- what it looks like is that the head cloth was wrapped up. It was folded and set there. So Jesus's body, here's what it looks like, went through the clothes and the clothes kind of deflated and stayed there. Here's, here's my picture. There's something about the body being, it's the same body, but it's different. We're going to see that throughout. His body is changed. He's glorified. So he passes through and then maybe he unwraps his own head and folds it up and sets it there. But John wants us to know that Jesus bodily rose and it was different than any other resurrection. And with the clothes lying there, he shares this because one of the rumors that had gone, John wrote this decades later. One of the rumors was that Jesus' body had been stolen. If somebody would have gone to steal the body, what would they do? they would probably just take the whole body, right? Or if they unwrapped him, they would probably be in a hurry. They would unwrap him and the wrappings would be all over. They probably wouldn't unwrap and go, ha ha, I got an idea. You know, and so the body was gone. The linens were still there. Something miraculous had happened. Something that had never happened before. Jesus rose from the dead in the same body, but that body had undergone a radical transformation. Now, In John 8, or John 20, verse 8 here, John writes down what he believed, what he thought, what happened to him. He shares his heart. Uh, It says, he also went in, he saw and believed. The idea here is that Peter probably didn't get it yet. Peter was he didn't quite put it together yet, but John believed. And I'm wondering as I'm studying this, why didn't John tell him? Maybe he did. Or maybe John's like, ah, Jesus will (laughs) fill him in. But John saw and he believed. And what did he believe? Look at the, the next verse. For they had not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John believed right then that he rose from the dead. He didn't understand why. He didn't understand that it was necessary yet, but they would understand that later, that he must rise from the dead. Most likely, this is a reference to Psalm 16.10. Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This was a prediction of the resurrection. And Jesus predicted his own resurrection over and over, that he must rise from the dead. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it was predicted in the Old Testament scriptures that he would rise from the dead, and he did. And it says he must rise. I think John chose his words wisely as he was writing this down. He thought about his, he thought about everything and he put, he must rise from the dead. Here's, here's one of his points. I think this is not a secondary doctrine. This is not one of those things that we can, eh, no big deal. You know, we can all be part of the church and we can believe some of us that he rose, some of us not, um, some of us that it was just a spiritual resurrection. No, we must believe that Jesus rose bodily, not just in the spirit. So some people, even within the church that kind of believe the Bible, kind of not, will say that Jesus rose, but he just rose spiritually. Here's the picture. It's kind of like, you know, Star Wars, 
when a Jedi dies and their body's still there, but then all this and there. Remember when Darth Vader's being burned and his, his ghost appears? That's kind of the idea that they thought the body's still here, but the ghost then rose. And so his ghost could interact. That was not the case. And John intentionally wants to tell us that's not the case because people believed that. They hadn't seen Star Wars yet, but <laughs> they, they believed some people that, okay, spiritually maybe, and he's a ghost appearing. But John wants us to know, no, 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 it was not a ghost. His body rose from the dead. Something totally different. He must rise. Why must he rise? Have you ever thought about that? Why must Jesus rise from the dead? He, he paid the penalty. Our sin earned death. Well, he died. So he paid the penalty for our sin, right? So then why the resurrection? Why is it when you go to a, a an evangelical church, a Protestant church, why don't you see a crucifix? Meaning Jesus on the cross. You don't see it because he's not on the cross anymore. Because our faith is based on his resurrection, not just his death. Why must he rise? Listen to this, Romans 1.4. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, Jesus, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He was declared what he was. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed all these things. Well, you can take it or leave it, right? Believe it. But he rose from the dead. That was his proof. That was the proof in the pudding. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise it up again. After this happens, they remembered he said that. He was talking about his body. So he had to rise to prove that he won. To prove that he won, Romans 4.25 says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions. So your sin and mine, we've all sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why he had to die, for your sin and for mine. And was raised because of our justification. He was raised from the dead to make us now right with God. So we're forgiven, but then we're brought into a new relationship. This is where Christianity is unlike any other religion. Every other religion tells you what to do to be right with God. Christianity says God will change you. God will come into your life and he will change you. He must rise. He must rise so that you will be forgiven, but then you will also be justified, meaning I'm right with God. And now we have life. His death was payment, but resurrection brought new life. Do you remember in the book of John, Jesus met with a man named Nicodemus. This guy knew his Old Testament Bible. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's like, what? You mean like enter back into my mom's womb and come out? I mean, that's what he asked. This sounds crazy. This is what he's talking about. No, born again, new life. Faith in Jesus brings new life. That's why he must rise from the dead. Jesus' resurrection declared to the world that he is the son of God and made it possible to have new life in him. Listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. Because what's our hope? Our hope is in our future resurrection. And in 1 John, John's going to write, when we see him, we will be like him. So guess what? The promise of the Bible, the promise of Scripture is that you're going to get a body, and I'm going to get a body just like Jesus's. Just like Jesus's, meaning it's new, it won't die again. It can eat. We see that. It, it can eat. We're going to see in a minute. It can pass through walls. So it's different, but it's still a body. This, when I first really, I think, grasped this as a, as a young man or as a, even a kid, 
I always thought heaven is going to be, you know, an eternal worship service, playing a harp on a cloud. I'm like, that sounds really boring. But when I realized that it's actually going to be more like this, as in we'll have a body, we'll get to eat, probably swim. You know, that gave me a little bit. I understand this. So it's going to be this, but perfected. Jesus' body was like his earthly body, but it was perfected. The Bible calls it his glorified body. And we will have one too. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means he couldn't win. He didn't gain the victory, which means we don't have hope of having a body also. Jesus gained the victory over sin and death. You, you read Revelation. The last thing that God's going to get rid of is sin and death. Death and the grave. If Jesus couldn't conquer death, we have no hope of conquering death in him. In our, it doesn't matter. If you want more details on that, go back in time on the podcast and read John 11 or listen to the John 11 podcast. Because in that lesson, we looked at Jesus with a battle against death, basically. Jesus and death face off and Jesus wins. But here he wins the ultimate victory in that he rose himself in a new creation, a new body. Now, in verses 11 through 18, we're not going to read these, but here we have the interaction of Mary. Mary is outside the tomb, sad, weeping. She peeks in there. Disciples had gone on. She peeks in. Two angels are there. Like, hey, lady, why are you crying? And then she hears a voice behind her. She thinks it's the gardener. And she turns and says, hey, if you've taken his body, tell me where he is. That gardener isn't a gardener. It's Jesus. Jesus says, Mary. All he says is her name, and she recognizes him. She knows who he is. That harkens back to where we see that those who are Jesus' sheep hear his voice and recognize him. John does that on purpose. Mary heard his voice and my Lord. And so she clings to him. The other women are probably still there too. They start trying to worship him. Jesus says, go tell the disciples that I'm alive. Go tell them that you've seen. So Mary's the first one to bring the message. We've seen the risen Lord. Here's why that's significant. If you were making up a religion, if you were making this stuff up in this day and age, you wouldn't have a woman as the first one seeing because a woman couldn't actually even testify in court. They weren't reliable witnesses. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way they did it. So, so it doesn't make sense to have a woman be the first one to see it. They're like, that, we don't accept that. They were just sharing the truth. Here's what happened. We're not trying to doctor this to make it acceptable. This is what actually happened. Pointing to the fact that it's true. John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, so later that night, the first day of the week, this is Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. John is, uh, there is so much here. <laughs> this, honestly, we could be separating this into a whole month of sermons, but we're not. Um, so don't worry, we'll get out of here by two. Um, the disciples, they're in a locked room. Why? Two days before this, they had taken their leader and killed him. They are rightly in fear of their own lives. So they're in fear of the Jews. They've locked themselves in. Jesus appears right there among them. Jesus didn't knock. Hey, can you guys unlock the door? He appeared with them. John includes that so that we understand his body's different. 
His body is not limited by the way our bodies are limited, but yet it's still a body because he shows them his hands. He shows them his side. He still has the scars. In other gospels, Jesus asks for food because they're like, it's a ghost. And he's like, can I have some fish and some bread? And he, and he eats it. And they go, oh, ghosts don't eat. So he's proving, he's showing his body is real, but it's different. And he appears in the room with them. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Why do you think he said that? Because they're scared. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're hanging out in a, in a locked room, and all of a sudden somebody appears there. It's like, ah, oh. he's like, hey, chill out. It's me. Peace be with you. You know, that's a greeting too, but more than that, he's calming their fear. Peace be with you. It's me. It's your Lord. Now, put yourself in the room. Jesus appears. You're freaking out. Now you realize it's him. He shows you. Now what's your response? What are you feeling? <laughs> your heart's beating. You're excited. He is the Messiah. We were right the whole time to follow him. He's going to set up the king. I mean, who knows where their mind would be going? Super excited, right? Like, this is it. This is the end. We're, you know? And so he says again, a second time, peace be with you. I think he says it twice because the second time I think he's like, hey, chill out. <laughs> we're not done yet. We're not done yet. It's not going to be as great right now as you think possibly. So peace be with you. And now he gives him the mission. What he tells him, he says, chill out. There's more for you to do. I'm sending you. And here is John's version of the Great Commission, which we see in every gospel. We see a version of the Great Commission. And here Jesus is giving them their Great Commission. He said, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Jesus is saying, I died and I rose. Here I am. I rose. I gained the victory. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. So he won it, meaning we don't have to earn anything. So don't go out there and try and work hard. You don't have to, but we have a mission in response to what he's done. And so now he says, go. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Here's what's important about this great commission. He sends the disciples in the same way the Father sent him. As the Father sent me, in the same way he sent me, I send you. Not that we would be the propitiation for sins, but there's other aspects of his sending that are the same as ours. The first one, we are sent to speak his message. We see this in John 15, 27, where Jesus says, you must witness. You will be a witness for me. We must speak the message he spoke. You see in Mark, Jesus' first message was repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. You start looking in Acts, the first message of the apostles, the disciples, was the same thing. Repent and believe. Repent, be baptized, follow Jesus. So we must speak his message. By the way, this sending was for these disciples, but it's also for us. It's for all those who would believe. It's not just, by the way, for professional Christians, missionaries, pastors. It's for all believers. They are sent to speak his message. The second one is to do his works. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, you will do what I have done and even greater things will you do. So we are sent to do his works as well. I think some of those works are taking out the trash. Some of those works are showing up for your neighbor. Some of those works, listen, at, at times and places are miraculous. At times and places, there will be miraculous healings. I don't believe that's done. And God will do that. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will do that through a Christian as he sees fit for his glory. But we will do his works. And the last one, you're not going to like this one. 
give their lives in his service. Give their lives in his service. We are called to live for Christ and if possible to die for Christ. All of these disciples were martyred except for one, probably John, the one writing this. It's argued that when John is writing this, the rest are already dead. And he was basically kicked out of town. He was excommunicated. He was he suffered. He maybe not was murdered or martyred for Jesus, but he gave his life for Jesus and, and he suffered for Jesus. But give their lives in his service. So we are sent in the same way. But here's the important thing. We're not sent on our own. We're not sent in our own strength. Remember the great commission in Matthew. Jesus begins it by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. And then he says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he finishes it with, and I will be with you always. Here he sends them, but he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Guess what? Jesus is still sent. This is the part that's really cool. It's not like Jesus did his mission and then he's like, I'm done, see ya. You guys carry on. Jesus continues to do his mission. Meaning we don't go alone, we're doing it with Jesus. This is one of those things that we must understand and we do the best we can to, to pull this out of scripture when it's there and show it. But we as the Christian life is not us living for God. The Christian life is Jesus living his life, the life he lived then lived out now in and through us. That's the Christian life. So he is continuing the mission with us. And the important part, and we've talked about this because it's all through John, is then he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power. That's what it is. The Holy Spirit is his presence in us and through us, taking us. That's the new life. No other religion has anything like that. It has no supernatural empowering, but we're given the Holy Spirit to be a witness. We're not sent out unarmed. Now, this verse 29 has caused a lot of issue throughout the centuries. Verse 29, he said, uh, no, that's not right. <laughs> um, verse 23, is that right? Yeah, sorry, verse 23. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from many, it is withheld. This has been taken to mean at times that the, the Christian leaders have the power to go, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're forgiven, you're not we know, the Bible's very clear, only God can forgive sins. When accurately understood what this is saying, and it's very clear when you understand the Greek construction of it, what it's saying is you have the ability, you have the power, you have the responsibility in the message to declare the truth. That if somebody believes that Jesus died and rose again, he is the son of God, the Messiah, then that person has life in him. And so the church... Listen, that's us. We have the responsibility of that message. So if somebody comes up to you or me and says, I think I'm going to heaven. Well, why do you think that? Because I'm a good person. Our responsibility is to say, no, that's not the truth. Our responsibility is not to be politically correct and go whatever you want to believe. Our responsibility right here is to go, that's not the truth. That's not the message. The message is faith in Jesus alone, belief that he died and rose again. And we have that responsibility or to say you are forgiven. Not to say I forgive your sins and I have the power of God, but to acknowledge, this is in kind of a past tense right here, that your sins are already forgiven. So if you come to me and you say, I believe Jesus died and rose again and I professed faith in him as Lord, I have the freedom to say, according to scripture, you're saved. You're forgiven. If that's really what you believe, you're forgiven. 
That's the responsibility that they had. That's the responsibility that we have as the church. It's not a popular message. <laughs> I ask again, is this true? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Has Jesus given us the Holy Spirit? Are we sent on his mission? Is it true? Because if you look at the American church, I'm going to pick on the American church again. I don't think most believe it's true. It's the only continent, North America, where the church is declining, where the people are not carrying out the mission, not sharing the message. Why? Because it's not politically correct. But if, if the Bible's true, if he did rise from the dead, and if we believe in, and have life, things should be a little bit different. And I think, I think they are. I think things are happening here in Carson City. He wants to, to do something. But the question is, is this true? That's why John includes this next part. Is this true? Because most people would doubt this, obviously. What if you came home and you're like, hey, I saw my cousin Filbert. Um, he died last year and he just appeared to me. You'd be like, woohoo. Um, so is this true? That's why in this gospel, we get to see Jesus and Thomas. Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared. And so look at Jesus and Thomas, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand onto his side, I will never believe. Have you ever doubted? Are you here right now and you don't believe? You're sitting there going, this guy's a whack job. He really believes this? This is crazy. Well, guess what? Welcome to the club. <laughs> Everybody at some point has doubted. Very few people, I think, from birth throughout, I've never had a doubt. Most people have doubted. And that's a good thing to reach a point of genuine belief and conviction that this is true. So John includes Thomas, who gets a bad rap and is called Doubting Thomas because he, he doubted. He wasn't there. And he says, I don't believe, you guys are all crackpots. I'll only believe if I see and if I touch. So Jesus says, great. I think Jesus did this on purpose for people like me, for people like us. Eight days later, Verse 26, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, same situation, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. He's talking about us. None of us have seen the risen Christ, but yet we believe and we're blessed. Part of the reason we can believe is because there was a guy named Thomas right then that said, nope, I don't believe. Jesus appeared and he said, here, touch my hand. He touched it. Touch my side. Touch it. In the other gospels, give me some food. I'll eat it. He proved that it was true. He showed himself to Thomas. Thomas, the one that doubted, touched, and felt. We know elsewhere, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. 500 people. His death is a historical fact. His resurrection was verified by hundreds of people. So those early on, when this was all written, people would go, I was there, that's not true. When the book of Acts was written, there were people they could go verify this with. Here's the truth. And by the way, here's a list of 500 people. You can go ask them, they were there. And all that is laid down for us so that those of us who have not seen, we can believe also. This is verifiable. 
Just so you know, the Bible has never been proven false in anything. Not one thing. In fact, the Bible is used in the Middle East for archaeological purposes. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, they were able to use some of Scripture to figure out where things are in the city. Uh, other things that happen in the Middle East, they use the Bible for excavation tools because it's accurate. It's accurate in everything. And if it's not accurate in the resurrection, then guess what? It's a lie in everything else. But it's never been proven false in anything. So it's reasonable and wise to believe that this is also true. And this is what it's all about. This whole book is about belief. That's why Jesus says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And here's the climax of the book. It's all been building to this one statement. What does Thomas say? <laughs> my Lord and my God. That's the climax of the book of John. The declaration, my Lord and my God. Not some passive thing like, that's cool. <laughs> my Lord and my God. A good person does not claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. A good person does not accept worship as God. Jesus accepted worship as God. My Lord and my God. That's the response of the one who believes. My Lord and my God. My Lord, you're the one in charge. My life is now yours. Do whatever you want with it. That's what Lord means. My God, as in Yahweh from the Old Testament. Jesus is the Son of God, equal with God. The second part of the Trinity. My Lord and my God. There's the climax, and we should end the book there but we don't. We're going to see John 21 next week, but it's exciting also. But it doesn't finish here. He says, my Lord and my God, you have seen, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and, and believe. Verse 30. And this really just, it's the end. It's the end of the book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That you would believe and have life. That word life is not bios. That word life is zoe. We, we talked about that some through the book of John. That God doesn't just promise life, as in blood. But that's not what He promises. He promises full life, zoe, the type of life that you're like, that's the life. You know, we've talked about that several times when we've seen that word in, in the book of John. But those who believe receive life. And John writes this whole book building to this begging that the reader, you and I, we've spent a little over a year now in this book, and he is begging with you and me, believe, believe, and have life. Have life in him. Be born again. Receive the new creation. And our hope in the future is that we will have a new body as well, just like Jesus said. Believe and have life. What's the power? You know, the church has, has a downfall often. Me, in my life, I've had a downfall. Through my life a lot, you know, I, I believe. I love Jesus. Now I'm going to go do for you. I'm going to go work hard for you. And, and, and it's depressing, <laughs> and it's hard, and it's painful when you go out and you do the best you can only to fail. But that's because we don't understand how we're supposed to go. So, the other day, I was watching uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Anybody know? One of the greatest westerns of all time. And so I'm, I'm watching on my phone there, and uh, the song, wah, wah, 
Yeah. So that's from that movie. And Elise, our eight-year-old, is laying in bed there with Kat. We're just laying there, and I'm watching. And she hears that. Whoa, you're watching the bad, the ugly, and the good. I'm like, whoa, I'm so proud of you. You know, because she, she likes to go to YouTube and listen to music soundtracks. And so that comes on. And so she recognized the music. But in that movie, there's a scene where Clint Eastwood... And the other guy, they get to a place where there's a civil war battle going on and the captain is drunk, but he says, you know, there's this bridge there. We want the bridge and they want the bridge. And we're just fighting over this bridge and thousands are dying because of that bridge. I've just dreamed about blowing up that bridge. (laughs) If I blow up that bridge, I can save thousands of lives, thousands of lives. And so Clint Eastwood and, and, and the other character, they think that's a great idea. They're going to blow up the bridge. Well, the idea is one thing, right? It's a great idea but there has to be something to make it happen. Christianity is a great idea. It's a great philosophy of life. The Bible, it's full of great teaching, good more, great. But an idea, just an idea, is just that, just a good idea. So Clint and the other fella, they go down and they get dynamite. And they put it on the bridge, they blow up the bridge. Great idea, the dynamite made it happen. Jesus rising from the dead, great idea, but it's also true. The mission that we go, great idea, great message. The power, the dynamite is the Holy Spirit, not you. (laughs) Not my cleverness, not my ingenuity, not your whatever ability you have that's awesome, but it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the dynamite that makes the bridge blow up. That's what's gonna make it happen. The Holy Spirit's the gas in the tank that makes it actually go. Zoe is life. When a person believes they're given life, the power is the Holy Spirit. Here's what happens with these disciples after this. They go all in. All in. They sell out. All but one are murdered for it. They're martyred. Jesus rose bodily from the dead. This is historical. It's not mythology. Those that believe will have life and a mission. It all rests on the resurrection. All rests on the resurrection. And those that go will make a difference in the power of the Spirit, and some will die on the way. Jim Elliot, his wife, they gave their life over to it. And we could list names and names and names of people who believed, received life and the power, and made a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. We could list many names, many, many, many. Are you going to be on that list? (laughs) Am I? Is common ground going to be on the list of those full of people that believed, had life, and went? I pray. I pray we are. I pray that I am. But it all rests on the resurrection. We never, ever move past the resurrection. If you're here this morning, and this is the first time that you've thought, okay, it wasn't just spiritual, or this might actually be a historical truth, and I believe, today, today, give your life. As Jesus would say, repent and believe. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe that Jesus died, that he rose, that he's the son of God, the Messiah, and he's coming back. And when he does, we're gonna have a body like his. By the way, in history, this is why Christians a lot of times were against cremation because they thought they needed their body for the resurrection. God's way bigger than that. But a, a, a fundamental understanding of the church has always been, we will bodily raise from the dead. That's our hope. Because Jesus proved it's possible because he did it. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, um, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for coming and for dying. Thank you for gaining the victory by rising from the dead. This truth, this message is so powerful. And I can't do it justice. We don't really fully understand until we get it and we receive the new life. And even then, there's a lot we won't fully understand until we're with you. But we know this. We know, Jesus, you lived. We know you were the Son of God. You are the Son of God. We know you died and you rose. And you're in that body now. And you're here with us in the Holy Spirit, empowering us to go with you. Thank you for the new life, the life of power, the life of peace, the life of purpose, the life of joy, although it's not a life of comfort, <laughs> not a life of security. Thank you for the life that you give. Holy Spirit, move in us. And I'm going to ask, if you're, if you're in here, we haven't done this for a long time, not in this way. But if you, if you have believed for the, for the first time this morning that Jesus rose from the dead and you want him to be Lord, I want you to pray silently after me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe that you rose from the dead and that your sacrifice was for my sins. Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, now please take over my life. I belong to you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving the Holy Spirit. I love you. Father in heaven, again, we just thank you. We're going to close in worship. It's all based on your resurrection. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer or some version of it this morning for the first time, would you take your, your hand out where I asked for the information and on the back, you, there's some questions. You can click off a box. I wanna, I'm interested in a group. I'm interested in saying yes to Jesus. In that box, I want you to write new life. Fill out the information and just write new life and put it in the box and we'll get in touch with you. Write new life. If, if this is just a step on the journey and you're going, maybe this is true, maybe not, and you just wanna talk some more, you wanna ask the hard questions, I want you to write on there, I want more information on salvation. Just check that box and put it in and we'll get in touch with you and we'll help you out. Let's worship.